Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning. It's Sunday. I'm Ali Bally and this is Scotland's Talking. On the programme today, we'll hear from a mum in Edinburgh who's still having to travel to Holland and fork out thousands of pounds for cannabis oil for her epileptic son. You've given it to Murray because we had no choice. We had no choice. He was, I thought he was going to die, so I had to go and get this medicine for him. And now it works, and now he's doing better than what I ever imagined he could be. That, to me, is proof that this medicine works. It's effective. This is despite a law change in November last year, making it legal for doctors to prescribe the drug. But Epilepsy Scotland says it's not as straightforward as that. Your heart would go out to any family that finds themselves in a very difficult situation. This is why we need to really hurry up the research process around um, this issue. These are why these trials need to take place urgently. So what more needs to happen? Also on the programme this morning, Sir Kim Darroch has dominated the headlines this week after those memos he wrote about Donald Trump's administration. Well, was he right to resign? Do you think he got enough support? And what do you think about how it was handled by both Tory leadership rivals? First of all, Boris Johnson. I think he was a superb, is a superb diplomat and I worked with him for, for many years. And I think that whoever leaked his diptels really... Uh, has done a grave disservice to uh, our civil servants. And Jeremy Hunt. We have brilliant diplomats. It, it adds to our strength as a country that we have what many people think is the best diplomatic network in the world. And I and many staff in the Foreign Office are incredibly dismayed, even angry, about what happened because he should have had better support than he had. And just how much are you willing to change in your everyday lives to help the environment? Went up in a second one, came along. He was, uh, she's just over a year old. Uh, we sort of took the plunge then, and uh, we just took the decision, like, let's get them and, and try them out. And they've, they've been great. I mean, they really have worked well. We've even uh, travelled abroad with them, so, so now they've certainly worked for us. One dad makes his case for all parents to switch to reusable nappies for their children. But would you do it? Just some of the things we'll be talking about over the next couple of hours on Scotland's Talking. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open now. 0333 2020 401. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. It's been nine months now since it became legal for doctors to prescribe medicinal cannabis in the UK. Now, you may remember it followed several high-profile cases, mostly involving young children with epilepsy. Their parents fought hard for the drug to be available on prescription, describing it as life-changing in helping to manage the number and severity of seizures. But last week, a report to MPs revealed doctors aren't prescribing it because of a lack of clinical evidence to support these claims from the families who long campaigned for it. They claim they haven't been, there haven't been enough trials and therefore they're not confident in giving it out. But where does that leave the parents? Well, some are still trying to get hold of cannabis oil illegally, including Karen Gray from Edinburgh. Her five-year-old son Murray is epileptic and has severe seizures. Karen joins us on the programme now. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks very much for coming on and, and explaining this a bit more for us. From, from I think it was important for us to get the view of someone who's right at the, the co-face of it, if you like. Uh-huh. Um, what, what was life like before uh, for your son, before he was able to take cannabis oil? Yeah, oh, it was absolutely awful. He was constantly in hospital, constantly having seizures. You know, a day didn't go by where he would have one. Um, most of the time we were actually in hospital. He was on rescue medication. Um, you know, he just didn't have a life at all. He was just lying in a bed. Not not good at all. Not good at all. And then, obviously, I decided, obviously campaigning and stuff, I decided just to go to Holland and bring back the rules myself. And that's what I did. And the difference is remarkable. How did you, you did, first, oh. you know, when you, you're saying you decided to go there, how did uh-huh. it click in place for you that this was the thing to do? Um, because I've been researching it for, for the past what, year and a half, I was researching it, and I knew other kids that were taking oils and it had been life-changing for them, 
and I just got to a stage where there was nothing else the doctors could do. I just refused to watch him lie in a hospital bed, shaking, not having any quality of life. Um, yeah, so I just decided to go on a little hunt mm-hmm. <laughs> across Holland and find a doctor who would prescribe it for Murray and for um, my friend Lisa's son Cole as well. We went together. Right, so what effect does the cannabis oil have on Murray? There is absolutely no side effects. We have not noticed any side effects at all compared to all the other anti-epileptic drugs that he's been on, and even Epidiolex, actually, that has side effects as well. That's the CBD that you can, well, some people can get in this country, although some people are still fighting for that. Um, But it just wasn't enough. He needed THC, definitely. Um, Just the the difference is remarkable that he's, He's like a normal wee boy now. He's mm-hmm. going back. He's back at school when school holidays now. Um, he's just doing everything. He's not actually had a seizure in five weeks. Wow! And you and you um, said you spent a lot of the time in hospital. Has that not happened at all since you you've you started? No, this? no, no. Since we started it, no, we microdosed it, so we increased it very, very slowly because that's what you're meant to do um, until we got to a level that the seizures reduced. So that that's what was. That's what we've done, and it's been amazing. Cole through in East Kilbride, he's now he's over a hundred days seizure free, and that's not happened either. There's other children down south, in fact, in fact, in parts of the UK, um, that have started taking the very same cannabis oils, and they're all seeing remarkable differences: seizure mm. reduction, seizure length. So it definitely works. Now, nine months ago, when it became legal for doctors to issue prescriptions for medicinal cannabis. You must have thought that you'd won the battle and it was all plain sailing from from here on in then. Well, in a way, yes, but I was. I did think, mm, <laughs> you know, is this really going to happen? I do I do understand the doctors because they say they've not done their clinical trials in this country, but there has been trials and tests done in other countries. So we just need to look to that. But I do understand that they need to do trials, but for the children that are on these medications at the moment, And people like myself, I mean, I'm having to find over one and a half thousand pounds a month to actually pay for this medicine. We need to put something into place now to help us. Matt Hancock down in England Mm -hmm. said he would help. Nothing's happened. Jean Freeman, our health minister in Scotland, just refuses to help. Absolutely refuses. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not good enough. What do you you mean she refuses? Have you spoken directly to her? I've not. Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Um, no, Lisa Coral has in Glasgow, um, and I think there'll be a newspaper article coming out this week detailing that, but she wasn't very helpful at all. She would just bomb what help us, and we need help. Our boys need help. I can't afford to pay £1,500. We've already spent all our savings on this medicine. You know, they need to step in, the government, the NHS, they need to step in and help. It clearly helps Murray mm-hmm. and Cole, so they really need to give us help. They need to give us funding to pay for it. They need to do something for us. Immediately, what what lens do you have to go to actually get hold of the stuff? Do, have you now got a a route that you go generally and know where you're going and and how to get it, or do you, do you come up against a bit of a brick wall? Well, no. So far, it's actually been easy. We just go over in a day and come back. Um, we just go to the pharmacy. We let them know we're coming. They have our uh, medicine ready for us, and we bring it back. So far, that it's right. been plain sailing. Yeah. How do you feel as a mum? having to go through all this? It's absolutely shocking. I shouldn't be having to do this. I should be, you know, spending time with my kids. Not every waking moment I am trying to work out how am I going to get money? What am I going to do to try and get this, you know, funding or get an NHS prescription? You know, for them, every waking moment, that that is what I do all day, every day. I worry. I'm really stressed about it. I'm thinking, well, what happens whenever the money runs out? You know, I, what, what happens then? That's what's going through my mind, is you're talking about... One and a half thousand pounds a month. Mm-hmm. Surely nobody, no family, can keep that going unless they're hell of a rich. Are you hell of a rich? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> no, yeah, it is, it's, it is. It's really worrying. I mean, they're basically pushing us to the black market because there's loads of people out there making oil for other kids in the UK that just keep quiet and it's helping their kids and they're too afraid to speak up because they, they see the benefits it's given their children and they don't want to lose that. They don't want to get into trouble. They're basically pushing us into the hands of people that are making oils themselves. I mean, thank God they are, you know, because they're helping people. But me and Lisa are really 
want to go down the lens of this is a pharmaceutical grade product. You know, it is tested. We know exactly what we're getting every time we get the medicine. And we don't want to stray from that, especially because it's helping our boys so much. What about, Karen, what about your GP? Your GP must surely have, if he's dealing with with Murray, he must have noticed a difference himself. So what's stopping stopping him or her giving you a prescription? I never actually take Murray to the GP. We've, We've had no reason to actually see a doctor recently because he's doing so well. Um, but the thing is, the GPs can't prescribe this. Um, it has to be by a specialist clinician. And the specialist clinicians, which are the neurologists, they just will not, will not write a prescription. And I believe it's down to the BPNA guidelines. That's the British Pediatric Neurology Association. Their guidelines state that THC is bad for a child. It's you know for, it's bad for them, basically. But this is not what we're seeing. This is not what other parents are seeing in their children. You know, it's helping... So at the moment, we are trying to ask the DPNA if they could change their guidelines, but they just will not respond to us. It's really sad, Dad, because even just from what you're saying, you are the parent. You're the parent that's looking after this child. You know your child. You know your child's illnesses. You've talked about the seizures. You've talked about the time in hospital. And since you've started using this, it's it's calmed the whole situation down. The health service surely are saving money and not having to put money into hospital. And, yeah. and and I find it quite astonishing that you're saying, or you certainly have the impression that our health secretary, Jean Freeman, is not even willing to, to talk to you about it. No, no, they just nobody will help. I mean, it's, 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 it's actually really distressing because we are seeing our children and they are doing so well. And it actually terrifies me to think that I will not be able to afford this this medicine for them. Mm-hmm. I just I cannot even think about that and cannot think about I'm going back into status line in hospital in a vegetative state, being tube fed, not able to move, not even knowing we're there because he's just going in and out of seizures so much, getting all this really strong medication. You know that oh, that knocks them out. It's just horrible, horrible to think about, and it's horrible to think that we've got a health secretary. Um, that won't help us. She just won't help us. That's her job, to help our children. And it's really just not right at all. Well, the Health Secretary, Jane Freeman, has been on the show a couple of times. Um, and if she's listening now, what message do you have for her? I'd say, please, can you please help Murray and Cole? Um, <clears throat> we really, really need your help. We need some kind of funding, compassionate access programme put in place for, for our boys. You know, it's not fair that the medicine's helping. There are two children in the UK with an NHS prescription for the very same medicine that Murray and Cole are actually getting. So how can that be OK for two children in the UK, but not for Murray and Cole to get this as well? It's not It's not right at all. It's really, really bad. You know, the president was set whenever Sophia and Alfie got NHS prescriptions. And if you see them, they are doing remarkably well. And they were really, really bad. Same as Murray, same as Cole but they're okay and they're getting NHS prescriptions. So why can't Murray and Cole get an NHS prescription or even funding to pay for this medicine? Karen, a very good question. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning and uh, uh, telling us the background to, to the story and uh, wish yeah. you and, of course, Murray all the best. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. So there you go. Um, there's the background to it. A plea to the Health Secretary if she's listening, Jean Freeman. Jean, surely you just can't ignore this according to uh can that's what's happening uh, they're getting nowhere with with you and your your people so um uh, give us a call let us know where we stand with it unfortunately can is not the only one in this position we've heard over the last year or so from lots of parents all facing the straight same struggle for their children on top of that um ansia thomberg is from epilepsy scotland and can bring us up to date with what the current situation is. So at the moment, GPs are not able to um, prescribe uh, the medication. There was some, although the law changed um, to make um, cannabis-based medicinal products legal, um, there was some guidance that was released by the British Paediatric Neurology Association that helps to guide how it should be prescribed. Um, And it was really restricted to being able to be prescribed only by specialist doctors. So it needs to be a doctor that's on the General Medical Council Specialist uh, Register. 
It's it, oh, these things do take a while because obviously they need to be um, quite thoroughly trialled. There is one um, product which is based on um, cannabidiol and CBD, and that's expected to get a license um, most likely later on this year. But there was um, just a, a couple of weeks ago, the Health and Social Care Select Committee down at Westminster um, released a report really urging more trials into cannabis-based uh, medicines for epilepsy. And because despite the legislation, the pharma companies, some pharma companies seem reluctant to make these products available to trial. Um, and that's, you know, that's quite a difficulty. So there's been a call um, for research uh, proposals by the National Institute for Health for more research to be conducted into these cannabis-based uh, medications. And really, um, the, the, the government report is, is urging um, the pharma companies to make their products available to trial, because um, it's really important that, you know, that we're able to do that. And there seems to be a reluctance about that at the moment. I mean, we can, obviously we can't comment on individual cases, um, but, you know... Your heart would go out to any family that finds themselves um, in a very difficult situation. Um, and while you know we, we, we can't necessarily advise that families give you know their children unlicensed uh, or untrialled uh, products, etc. Um, nevertheless, you know obviously things are really difficult for those families, um, and they need um, support with their uh, medical teams. And, and ultimately, this is why we need to really hurry up the research process around um, this issue. These are why these trials need to take place urgently. And, you know, the evidence doesn't just have to come from the UK. There are other jurisdictions um, uh, in the world, such as USA, Canada, other parts of Europe, where we know that, you know, where trials are undertaken that are good quality. So, um, yeah, so it really highlights to us um, the importance of, of um, speed and some urgency around this issue and, and helping uh, to to get safe access to um, to trialled and licensed products uh, for, for children. So the law has been changed. Specialist doctors can prescribe medicinal cannabis to help people, but aren't doing that. Is that really good enough? Are the pharmaceutical companies to blame for not keeping up with the changes or indeed the demand? We've only heard from one pharma company in Australia which is looking to start producing the drug in Irvine in North Ayrshire. How do we attract more and what needs to happen to stop families going to such extreme lengths to offer their children some relief from the otherwise agonising seizures? £1,500 a month it's causing that mother that we had, mother of Murray there, Karen, Karen Gray. £1,500 a month. Could you afford that if that happened to someone in your family? What's your thoughts on it? Phone lines open, 033-2020-401. Dorothy, very good morning to you. What's your views good on... Good morning. What's your views I'm, on this I'm, cannabis I'm, I'm listening with, really, with interested to this woman who needs um, cannabis oil for her wee boy. Right. Uh, I'm just phoning as a Scottish person with no academic knowledge or anything about this. But I think, I think when it's to be used for a child with medical problems, I think this really should be uh, made easily, more easily uh, got. Just saying that that lady for the, um, what do you call it, the epilepsy uh, uh, organisation was saying this and that, and it's got to be uh, regulated and mm -hmm. different rules and regulations. Maybe perhaps this year, or before the end of the year, this will be more easily uh, prescribed. I think most. I think most mums. Yeah, I think most mums, Dorothy, and, and dads as well would go um, to any length to take any suffering away from their children. If it's going to, if, if it's going to improve the child's health mm. and make the the day to day life of the child easier, and uh, take take the hassle of having seizures and epileptic fits or whatever, I think it should be more easily got. Um, and uh, it's okay for the powers that be uh, are saying this and that. But no, my opinion is the mother should be allowed to get that prescribed for her wee boy. Particularly when it's costing her £1,500 a month. That is Aye, just... that's a terrible money. That's, that's, that can't be right. I mean, you'll just finish getting one month and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to afford the next month? I'm on the radio. <laughs> yes, you're I know, on. I know, I know, I know. 
but uh, listen, Ali, have a good day. Thank you very much indeed, Dorothy. All the best to you. Enjoy the rest of Sunday yourself. Uh, Stephen's got an opinion on most things, and he seems to have an opinion this morning as well. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, Ali. How are you? It's beautiful. Beautiful sunny morning. Yeah. Sunny. Beautiful. Rather nice. The sun is beating down on me here. It's wonderful. Right. So what do you think then? What's your point on this? My point is, it's two quick points, Ali. Right. Firstly, it'd be really neat to live with a child to see the conditions that wee boy had or any disabled child to see what medic- medication that they need. And the parent will know better than a doctor. If, he's got to, if the lady's got to go to a specialist doctor, well, she should be. Would we actually be having this conversation today if it was the health minister's daughter or son or the doctor's daughter or any of their family? Mm. I think not, Ali. Yep. Some, somebody goes into a chemist shop, methadone, put the door with them, sign it. Not a problem. That'll keep them going to their next fix. Millions of pounds all through the country. The next thing is, the SNP are shouting for shooting galleries. The Lord Advocate, is it Wilfie's name is, the Law Society, the Law Justice and all that. It's illegal what they're doing. You can't do that yet. They're willing to try. And my second thing is, really, there shouldn't actually be a cost to this cannabis oil for this, for this family or any other family. The amount of drug raids in Britain and still burning the cannabis they could extract the oils out of it and various health organisations could set up a factory Then the oil is there through the legal drug use. Then you wouldn't need to go to anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Then that wee lady, that lady, that wee boy or any of them would have a quality of life because when any child is born, I always say it's a miracle if it's born healthy. Yep. But when they're born with a disability... The country and the folk in charge it should be bending over backwards for that child. It doesn't matter if it costs a fiver or five million pounds because they'll waste millions and millions in a house of lords and any other stupid project that comes out of Scotland that that poor child is getting denied a quality of life. Which I think is shocking and I think the thing to the first health minister is, is to resign and go to that doctor shaming them, resign, and put in people that's in there that's got a caring attitude towards all patients that come through their door because you're going there hoping that person can give you, can help you. And see if it was an ethnic minority alley. I'd still think you'd be sitting here because they'd be going like that here when you go. I just think it's shocking for that, well, that lady yeah. that family's going through. I think so as well. I think, you, you, you know, you've had a couple of good points there, Stephen. You know, if, if it was... Um, uh, somebody's family, if it was uh, uh, possibly a politician's member of family, would this be happening? Would they not be shouting a bit more about it? Thanks, Stephen, for that call. £1,500. If you have just joined us and I'm wondering what we're talking about. Uh, talking about it's been nine months since it became legal for doctors to prescribe medicinal cannabis in the UK. Yet We've just heard from a mum, Karen Gray, whose uh, little boy is Murray, and she's having to travel to Holland once a month, a five-year-old son, uh, to get this cannabis oil. Uh, since she's been um, uh, giving her son this uh, cannabis oil, it's, it's, he's not been in hospital at all. Uh, his epileptic seizures have ceased, so it has been proved that it's working. But because doctors, and, and according to, to Karen, uh, the health secretary won't meet, won't talk about it, won't set up something on this. It's costing her and her family £1,500 a month. She has to travel to Holland to get it. Is that right? Your thoughts? 0333-2020-401 is the number. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Social media, here's the text comes in. It says uh, one of the reasons cannabis oil is not being prescribed is the greed of big pharmaceutical companies. In 2017, one British-based company alone clocked up an unadjusted operating profit of £8 billion, largely based on prescription drugs. Big Pharma fund medical schools and are calling the shots. Thank you for that. And uh, that's from Liz. One that wishes to remain anonymous. 
Uh, Ali, you need a voice to be heard. The health minister will only react to public pressure. Until that time, the fact she is ignoring this family is simply her secret until it's public knowledge. At that point, she will do something about it. I think it would be different if it was one of her family. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I, as I've said before, uh, the health minister, Jean Freeman, has been on this programme. And, and I just wonder, does she know how serious this is? Does she know personally or has it just gone to some of her people that work under? Because I, even I come up against them where I speak to eventually get through to people, first ministers and secretaries, etc., and say, we've been trying to get you on the programme. Oh, I didn't know. I've been turned down for six months. Uh, so it, does it get, does, is that information getting uh, to the health minister? Uh, Bernie McCready joins me now. She's um, campaign manager for Medicinal Cannabis Reform Scotland. Uh, Bernie, good morning to you. Thanks for calling in. Um, good morning. I, I'm just saying there that does the health minister know this is going on? Uh, does she? Yes. She's very much well aware of it. Um, I do know that she's had some personal meetings with people. But the bottom line is she's doing absolutely nothing about it. She's refusing point blank to do anything. For a woman that's in a position that she's in as Cabinet of Health, she's really, really lacking here. She really is lacking here. Um, her and Nicola Sturgeon are both very, very well aware of it. The situation we're in in Scotland just now, the UK government rescheduled cannabis-derived products last November for medicinal use in both humans and animals. And they made it that only specialist doctors on the register could prescribe. But the minute the UK government rescheduled it from one to two, that then made it a Scottish devolved issue because we have fully devolved health. Now, we keep saying how it's, it's in the, the hands of Westminster. It's not in the hands of Westminster anymore. It is particularly, specifically in the hands of Nicola Sturgeon and Jean Freeman, and they're refusing point blank to do anything about it. They say that we don't have the facilities here in Scotland to come up with guidelines and things like that, but that is absolute nonsense. Here in Scotland, we have all the talent that we need. We have our own Scottish Intercollegiate Guidance Network, and what they do is they're there to help the NHS, NHS Scotland with guidelines. We have our own Scottish Medicines Consortium who authorise medicines to get prescribed through NHS Scotland. So there is absolutely no need for NHS Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon and Jean Freeman to be hanging about waiting in Westminster, making up their mind on what they're doing. They've had it in their hands since last November and they've done absolutely nothing with it. And if Jean Freeman is going to continue on the path that she's on, they're continuing to ignore stakeholders, ignore patients, ignore parents, refuse to help these kids. These kids are getting kept alive with this medicine and it's costing these parents an absolute fortune. The first thing to think about when they wake up in the morning is fundraising mm. and the last thing to think about before they go to their bed at night is fundraising and all to keep their child alive when it is well within Jean Freeman and Nicola Sturgeon's reach to help these people. Now, if Jean Freeman is not going to help, and I'm not just talking the sick kids here, I'm talking people with cancer, people with autoimmune disease, people with addiction. If Jean Freeman is not going to do her job, then she should respectfully step aside. But surely, surely, hang on a minute, Bernie. Hang on a minute, Bernie. Surely mm -hmm. she is doing her job. She's appraised it and decided that she's not going down the the route that you and some of the parents want. So, she, but, you know, is that not what she's paid to do? No, I'm sorry, it's not what she's paid to do. Um, to go down the route that myself and some of the parents want, it is a last resort. We have tried everything. We have tried everything that they have to offer us, everything that they've told us to do. We have done it their way. I've done it their way all my life. Nothing worked. The only thing that works is cannabis. Now, we keep getting that it's not proven. There's not enough evidence. That's rubbish. It's the most researched plant on the planet. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. All this research and proof is there in other countries. Cannabis legislation is sweeping the world just now. But right here in this country, in the UK, we have Theresa May's husband up to his neck in it with GW Pharmaceuticals. We have Victoria Atkins' husband up to her neck in it with British Sugar. The UK, the UK government and the UK, the country as a whole, is the biggest manufacturer, distributor of cannabis medicine in the world. But yet we've got kids in this country that are dying that can't get their hands on it. Tell it, me they're making the right decision. 
Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking at from, you know, you, you were very uh, critical there of, of both the First Minister and the Health Secretary. I just Absolutely. wanted to, to balance a wee bit in mm-hmm. the fact that why, you know, looking at it and thinking to myself, well, what is stopping this? What, is, is it funds? Have, have they come back to you and said why they're not going? Why does this, why does Karen Gray, for instance, have to pay £1,500 a month? Um, out of her own pocket, out of her fundraising, and that's what gets to me. That's that's a, the one yeah. that's sticking in my throat. That yeah. she should not have to do that, as you say, going to sleep at night thinking of fundraising, waking up in the morning, as well as looking after um, Murray as well. Five year old Murray is, is wrong. That's wrong. You just have to look at the difference in Murray. I know these kids. No, I know how sick Murray is. No, I'm going to say it live on radio. Murray, Murray, Murray was very close to death. And Karen, his mum knows that. The only thing that saved that wee boy's life is the medicine that his mum's given him just now. And the difference in this child is absolutely phenomenal. Any idiot can see what it's doing for this child. You don't have to have a medical background or medical qualifications or letters after your name or be a health minister to see what this medicine is doing for these kids. Now, there's proof there. It's around the world. And we're sitting in this country and we're only bubble. And it just seems to be that cannabis doesn't work when you have our geographical location. Because it works everywhere else in the world, and there's proof, there's the research, there's everything that's all there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel again. Part of NHS Scotland's founding legislation states that if there is a treatment that a person needs that is not available in this country, then our health boards have the right and the ability to go and seek help from other territories. We have put this to them, we have asked them, begged them, pleaded them, and all we get is, we can't do anything about it. It's not our responsibility. It's in Westminster's hands. So then when we pointed it out to them, it's not in Westminster's hands. We're now getting, that's a decision between you and your clinician. Now, I know for a fact it's not a decision between you and your clinician because my clinician agreed to apply for it to prescribe it for me and the health board stepped in and locked it. So it's like a hot bit of coal that everybody's passing about between themselves just now that nobody wants burned with. Nobody's taking the responsibility for it. We need somebody to grow a backbone here. This is what we need because people are dying. People are suffering and dying needlessly. And we need a politician in this country to grow our backbone. Bernie, I'm going to have to stop you there because I really am now late for the news. Um, so news team, please just hang on. We'll be with you uh, in a few moments' time. But thank you, Bernie, for coming on and, and giving us your point. Campaign Manager for Medicinal Cannabis Reform Scotland. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Is Bernie right? Is she saying, you know, look, hang on, First Minister and Health Minister, you're you're dodging the bullet here. What is the story? What are your feelings on this? You, yes, listening to this right now, do you think it's right that Karen and other mums should have to be fundraising to get medicine for their very sick children? Give me a call, 0333 2020 401. Scotland's Talking. The podcast. We've been talking about uh, the um, situation with medicinal cannabis uh, in Scotland uh, so far. We've heard from Karen Gray, who's one mum, uh, mum of Murray. Um, and we've also been chatting to Bernie and we've had other people on there as well. Uh, and, and quite a few comments coming through on social media. Here's one that says, and it's from Anne, I agree that no parent should be paying £1,500 a month to purchase cannabis treatment that is improving their quality of life and keeping their child alive. It's not just Jean Freeman, though, who makes these decisions. She also takes advice from other medical colleagues, including the Chief Medical Officer, Catherine Calderwood. It's important that they urgently reassess access to cannabis, cannabis treatment in Scotland for all of those uh, whose health can benefit. And thank you for your comments. Keep them coming in. Uh, the text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. Love to hear from you on your phones. O treble three twenty twenty four zero one. We'll be talking uh, also in the programme before 12 about the battle across the Atlantic this week with the UK ambassador to the US, Kim Darroch. Uh, we'll chat about that. And also a dad who's asked parents to become more environmentally friendly. Uh, so we'll chat about that in a moment as well. But let's go back on the phone lines. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. I've got here on my little screen, this is Cole's mum. Yes, so, that's right. I'm right, sure. okay. So we've heard a little bit, Cole was mentioned a couple of times 
uh, when I was chatting to Karen. So bring me up to date with Cole then. What, what's your situation there with Cole? Um, so Cole was um, in, a, in hospital in March. He couldn't walk, talk. He lost the ability to swallow all within six weeks. Um, and just now I'm standing outside his football training where he's running about like any six-year-old should be, um, back to full health and actually the best he's ever been in four and a half years. He's today 105 days seizure-free. Right. hundred. That must be a huge weight off your memory, but off your mind, I mean. But does it yeah. mean that you're, you're, you're thinking as every day goes, do you get more confidence within this or do you still think, is tomorrow going to bring a seizure? Um, I'm not sure that I've been able to switch that off yet. Cole still mm. sleeps in my bed. He has done um, his whole life. Um, and um, I'm not sure that I'll ever go over the stress of worrying that the next day will bring a seizure. However, um, we are starting to get a, a sleep. I know he definitely is. Uh, Cole now has uh, the ability to dream for the first time ever in his life as well. Because before, all his seizures were through the night. Um, and he was having, you know, about 16 through the night, um, so he wasn't really getting into any deep enough sleep to actually ever have a dream. So he's dreaming for the first time now. Um, he's getting a proper rest. Um, he's going back to school, um, into mainstream school, and he's going to go into primary two, where last year he had to repeat primary one. And in March, we thought we were going to have to change schools to an additional support school. You know, so, Lisa, uh, j- just, just one thing you said there that he had up to 16 seizures through the night. For, yeah. Forgetting the stress that must have on you, must have had a heck of a stress on him as well. He couldn't wake up feeling in the morning that like any young child should feel rested. No, Cole woke up like he'd had a stroke. He suffered from Todd paralysis, which meant that every seizure brought stroke-like symptoms for between an hour and the full day ended up um, lasting towards the kind of end of him ending up in hospital. Um, so after a seizure in the morning, he would wake up and he wouldn't be able to walk, talk. Um, he would be basically bed-bound. And as the day went on, at first it, it got better, but towards the end, um, it, it didn't. he didn't recover from it at all. Now, as you can imagine, he's only six. Mm. Um, the confusion that that must have caused him, because I know how terrified I was, um, and I'm an adult and I had to research about it. Now he can't do that. Um, and with him having um, development delays, he doesn't understand. So, you know, he woke up terrified every morning. Uh, it was just heartbreaking. It must have been, must have been, yeah. Okay, so what's been the magic turnaround then? Is it the cannabis oil? Yeah, yeah. We started um, using Vegalite oil in March um, because we had no support from the UK. Um, I had to microdose coal, so it took maybe about two weeks. What do you mean? What do you mean by mic? Can you explain that? What you because I I know that um, uh, Khan so, talked about that as well. What does microdose mean? So microdose basically starts at one drop, zero point one mils twice a day, and you increase it by zero point one mils twice a day until you start seeing any kind of effect. Cannabis is a you only need a small amount for it to work, and mm-hmm. um, so you can only put up a tiny amount till you find what what's known as the sweet spot, which is the, the, the spot that makes the child um, either massively reduce their seizures or seizure-free. Um, Coles is 0.6 at the moment, 0.6 miles twice a day he takes. And where did you get that information to to bring that into Coles' routine? Um, we had to do a lot of research and we met with doctors in Holland and I also spoke to a doctor in Barcelona um, who were experts in cannabis medicine. And are you in any way concerned about what you might be doing to your son for the future? No, not in the slightest. I, I believe I've saved my wee boy's life wholeheartedly. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, even the other medicine that calls on is a drug called phenotoin. And um, the children that are on it usually need what's called a loading dose, which is a larger amount every kind of week or two weeks or monthly, just to kind of reboot their brain. Um, and Cole's not actually needed a loading dose of that drug um, since we got him stable on cannabis medicine. Right. So um, 
I believe that not only is it helping my wee boy, but it's stabilising the other medication that he's on so that he doesn't need high doses, which causes toxicity in the body and causes really quite severe side effects. Now, Karen was telling us earlier that it's costing her £1,500 a month. Are you in the similar ballpark, similar ballpark figure? Yeah, well, if, I was to, if we were to buy it from the UK, um, the UK wanted charges between £550 and £600 a bottle. Coles on four bottles a month. Um, each bottle had, only has 10 mils in it, which is two dose of calcol comparison, so they're tiny. Um, and if I continue to go to Holland to purchase it, then um, it costs €198, Euros, which is about £168. Um, but I, I met recently with um, Jean Freeman, Health Minister, um, and also at the meeting was Dr Parr, who's head of medicines for Scotland mm-hmm. um, and Susan Wallace who works for Science who write guidelines um, and um, unfortunately their stance has remained where it has always been which is that they won't help they won't um, fund my private prescription because apparently if you fund one private prescription you have to fund them all um, even though um, we're just looking for a bit of support from the Scottish Government until such times as the NHS and the Scottish Government put their plans in place to do the research that they feel that they need before they can we can access this through the NHS. So did you um, come up, meeting, did you sorry, come away from that meeting feeling fairly frustrated then? I'll be honest, I came I came back from that meeting absolutely raging because um I had cut my kids' holiday short by two days so that I could go to that meeting. Um, because I was asked to, to attend it by the health minister, so I assumed because she had asked to see me that she would have something new to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, only when I asked, I'm not really sure why I'm here because there's nothing new, good or bad that you're telling me. I was told because you're not understanding it by letter, so I thought I'd tell you your face. Um, and then um, I explained that the oil that both. Cole and Murray are on, um, and, a, and a good few other kids now through a private prescription, um, is available to two children on the NHS in England, who have both been on that NHS prescription for over a year. Both kids are thriving, and one of which, there was a report carried out, and he saved the NHS over 100,000 in a year, and I asked if she could explain to me why it's safe for those two children under the NHS, but it's not safe for our kids. Because either it's safe or it's not. What was her reaction? She didn't know that there was any other children on an NHS prescription for the same oil as her boys. And neither did the head of medicines for Scotland, which really shocked me. Um, And I felt really let down because I'm a branch officer for um, Trade Union in Edinburgh and I work for NHS Loading. It's not my job to know that, but it is her job. Mm -hmm. So for for me, um, as somebody in such a position... Um, I'm sorry, but if that, if she's not interested in finding out that kind of information, then she shouldn't be in that position. Lisa, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on and giving us another side of it as well. Uh, and again, I'd bounce it back to, to Jean Freeman, to the health people, to the First Minister, whoever is going to get this message this morning. Uh, I think the question is quite simple to to you, Health Minister, and and to First Minister as well. Just what Lisa was saying there, if it's good enough for two kids in England, why is it not good enough to issue the prescription for a couple of kids in Scotland? Why are their parents having to go through this? If you can give us an answer, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Lisa. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Uh, Yes, it's uh, very interesting, this topic about the uh, medicinal cannabis. And um, I uh, feel sorry for the people who are having to pay a lot of uh, money to get it. And um, I agree with what you were saying before, too, that it's uh, not fair at at all. Um, One suggestion I may have is 
uh, to the parents to keep on pressurising the um, government, uh, both the Westminster and the uh, Scottish Health Secretaries, uh, by going through the MPs, if MSPs as well, if mm. maybe they have already. I would think that. so, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. But uh, I think, as you said before, we do need to uh, put a lot more pressure on uh, to get uh, the ball rolling with regard to this uh, topic. Um, well, it's, you I, know, when you've got children like that who are in, you know, we've heard from two mums yeah, who, no, you know, is, bad, that should, and I'm surprised that that is a stance that the health secretary uh, is taking. And, yeah, and as I say, I, I I don't know who's to blame here. I, I don't want to, you know, this is not a blame game. It's not a blame program at all. Yeah. It's about saying, let's look at this again, please. Let's help these families out and yeah. do it now. Stop, you know. Stop talking. Actually do something. Exactly, yeah. And these, these parents uh, have experienced great uh, results from it. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it should be uh, made available uh, now rather than later on, Absolutely. The, on the NHS. I mean, as you know, I've suffered since I was three with epilepsy. And I was looking down the road of trying that stuff too, but there's not enough research being done yet for adults right. uh, to take it. So I just have to keep on taking conventional mm-hmm. medications, uh, which have side effects. Another reason why I was looking down the road of trying medicinal cannabis, but I've done research and I can't get the answers yet that I want. And my neurologist won't um, look at uh, me having anything else other than conventional medications, not for the time being anyway. I mean, if I really wanted to try it, I could go and start buying medicinal um, cannabis yep, yep. and come off. I, w- I would have to come off the um, other medicine as well, probably. But, yeah, I, I say to uh, the people, you um, keep on fighting and hopefully one day you'll um, get it on the NHS. And all the best. Thank you very much indeed, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, so if you have any further comments on that, or indeed you are the Health Secretary or the First Minister and you'd like to give us a comment, come on. Let's let's extract a finger here and actually get something done. Oh Treble Three Twenty Twenty Four Oh One is the number. Keep your thoughts coming in, or indeed text six one zero five four. Start your message with Ali uh, hashtag Scotland's Talking on Twitter as well. Another subject has been a battle across the Atlantic this week. The UK's ambassador to the US, Sir Kim Darroch, was described as wacky, a very stupid guy, and a pompous fool by Donald Trump. It's after memos were leaked in which he described the US administration as clumsy and inept. After that, the president says he would no longer work with him and Sir uh, Derek decided he's going to resign, and he did, Sir Kim resigned, uh, claiming it would be impossible for him to continue in his job. But what's dominated the headlines from that is how he's been treated. Some politicians are blaming Boris Johnson for having him having to resign because uh, Boris didn't speak out in support of Sir Kim, unlike his Tory leadership rival Jeremy Hunt. Earlier this week, Foreign Office Minister Sir Alan Duncan was asked if he thought it was up to Boris to say something. Yes, he should have done so. The current Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, gave him full support. So did the Prime Minister. So did the Cabinet. And a former Foreign Secretary who thinks that he is equipped to be Prime Minister has basically thrown him under the bus. And members of Parliament here on both sides of the House are absolutely livid. And I think that the conduct of Boris Johnson has discredited him enormously in the eyes of many people in this country. I, as a Minister, will always defend our diplomats. Um, Only if they do something terribly wrong and against the rules should we uh, not do so. But when someone is just doing their job and doing it professionally and doing what an ambassador is there to do, which is to report back to London what is going on in their host country, they should be praised, supported, fully backed up and not thrown under the bus, as I'm afraid some senior politicians in the Conservative Party seem to think was okay. And he is a dutiful public servant who doesn't want to become an impediment to relations between the UK and the US. Now, we can blame lots of people for why this decision has been reached, but the one person who is not to blame in any sense whatsoever is Sir Kim Darroch. 
Well, Boris Johnson has, of course, spoken since Sir Kim's resignation, and here's what he had to say. I want to say that I regret that, really, because I think he was a superb, is a superb diplomat, and I worked with him for, for many years. And I think that whoever leaked his diptels really uh, has done a grave disservice to uh, our civil servants, uh, to people who give impartial advice to ministers, and I hope that whoever did it is, is run down, caught and, and eviscerated, quite frankly, because uh, it, is, it is not right that advice to ministers that it, civil servants must be able to make in a spirit of freedom uh, should be leaked, and uh, it is not right that civil servants' uh, careers and prospects should be dragged into the, into the political agenda. And, uh, and I think uh, we should be protecting brilliant civil servants from that kind of publicity. Boris Johnson with his thoughts. What are yours? 0333 2020. 401 is the number. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Just before the break, um, we were hearing what Boris Johnson had to say, uh, speaking about Sir Kim's, Sir Kim Darroch's resignation. Uh, we also should balance it up by what uh, others have been thinking as well. Uh, Tory members have been praising Jeremy Hunt's reaction as he's since written to every ambassador around the world. We have brilliant diplomats. It, it adds to our strength as a country that we have what many people think is the best diplomatic network in the world. And I and many staff in the Foreign Office are incredibly dismayed, even angry, about what happened because he should have had better support than he had. You know, he has given his reasons why he thought his position was not tenable. But, uh, you know, when diplomats are doing their job, when they are some of our very best diplomats in some of our most important embassies, then they're entitled to support. And, you know, the Prime Minister will now uh, make a decision, and it's for her and not for people from the sidelines, uh, to uh, decide exactly when to appoint a replacement, who the most appropriate, experienced person is for that role. And the Foreign Office will fight back. I mean, we have been through many tough challenges in our long and distinguished history. But I think the lesson from this is that when Brits abroad, doing their job for our country, come under pressure, we need to stand behind them. In terms of the new ambassador in Washington, uh, that is a decision for the Prime Minister alone. It's not for people shouting from the sidelines to tell her what to do. And she will decide what's right in the national interest. I know that she would want someone who is experienced and appropriate for the role. Um, and the timing is something that she will obviously have to think about carefully. So what do you make of the situation then this week? Who has handled it best? Is Sir Kim the only person to blame for having written the memos in the first place? Or should he be able to trust that what he's written won't spill out into the media. Should he have resigned? Or do you think he could have continued in his role if he'd had the support of the likes of Boris Johnson? Do you think if Johnson was successful in becoming Prime Minister, would other diplomats be too scared to speak out against Trump or anyone else controversial in fear of not getting supported? What are your thoughts? 0333 2020 401 is the telephone number. Uh, and if you'd like to comment on the text, the text is 61054. Start your message with Ali or hashtag Scotland's Talking. Um, we've also been talking this morning, just in case you've just joined us, about uh, medicinal cannabis. And I think that's what Philip wants to talk about. Is that right, Philip? How do you, Ali? I'm all right, thank you. So Yeah, yeah. Well, problem, I think the problem here, Ali, is that although cannabis has been shown to be a force for good, it's how difficult he is shaking off his evil tag. Right. But in the cases that we've been talking about, it's been shown that it's, it is worthwhile for children yeah. who are suffering from epilepsy. These two mums would surely... Have they not convinced you? Uh, oh, they've certainly convinced me. This is the reason why I'm surprised that the decision-makers have been so reticent. Yeah, it seems to be somebody's dragging their feet. And that's what, that's what annoys me, in that they're dragging their feet and families who probably can't afford it and, and really are struggling to pay for this themselves are having to do so. And I, and I think that's wrong. Well, as I said before, it's been shown to be a force for good. 
why are, why are, why isn't legislation being made, you know, to make it available for the purpose? You know, obviously it would have to be within very strict guidelines. It would have to be available in prescription only and dispensed by a, a qualified practitioner. Well, that that was what was being talked about, wasn't it? It's uh, getting the practitioners who are not convinced. They are the practitioners and they're not convinced at the moment that that's the way it should go. I wonder if you've heard of a thing called the Hippocratic Oath, Ali. Yep. Well, basically what it is in a nutshell, it's a code of ethics, a code of conduct, uh, named after an ancient Greek um, doctor, physician, call him what you like. And basically what it is in a nutshell, it, uh, anybody who becomes a, a medical, qualified medical person mm-hmm. on graduation, they have to swear that oath. Uh, and what the oath says is um, they will use any treatment available to help the sick uh, and the infirm according to their personal ability and judgment, but never with malice or forethought. And this treatment should be freely available regardless of status, gender or age. Yeah. So anybody withholding treatment that knows it's beneficial, right, whether it's deliberate or not, is, is unintentionally breaking that act. That oath, sorry. Interesting point, that, actually. Yeah. Um, now, I'm, I'm just wondering if Miss Freeman, who's the Scottish Health Minister, because of her brief, she's probably, obviously, she's probably had medical training, otherwise she wouldn't be able to comment on health matters. Now, at some stage, she's probably, when she qualified or graduated, she had to swear that oath herself. Well, it's the same... It's, I can't answer for her, you know, and she's not here to answer. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you, you you know, you're right. She has had medical training. I think she was in the, the health service before um, becoming a politician. But, uh, Philip, thank you very much indeed for, for that. Uh, let's bounce on to Andrew in Fraserburgh. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. The thing about Kim Darek, isn't he just typical, though, the anti-Brexit, anti-Trump, anti-democratic clique, which seems to infest the higher echelons of the civil service. His job, Ali, is to to build relationships with uh, Trump, not slug him off behind his back. You know, so the guy would be retired in any way, I believe, in six months' time. So he'll go to a peerage, a gilt-age pension, which most of us can only dream about. So I've got absolutely no sympathy. And by the way, who leaked this in the first place? Because that's surely a crime against the Official Secrets Act, Ali. Well, but as an ambassador, though, is he not also, whilst you're saying, you know, he's, he's there to get on with, uh, in this case, the president of America and his team, the United States of America, is he not also there to to feed back to Prime Minister, the Foreign Office, ministers in general? Is that not his job to feed back what he finds, you know, and if he, if he found that that's how the... The um, and, and I haven't seen anything that he said that I disagree with on the president's uh, conduct. So I mean, he's feeding that back for for our information. Well, when he first made these comments, Sally, I thought he was speaking about the Tory government at one stage under Mrs May. You know, the same comments could equally apply to them. But no, he's supposed to be impartial, Ali. And let's face it, he's now completely politicised this guy. He's not an impartial civil servant. He's really gone above and beyond, you know, what his role was. And given, you know, the perks of the job that he's got, Ali, I think the sooner the better he's out of it. We've got somebody more practical in there than good riddance to him, frankly. OK, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. We're going to... Archie, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. What's your point, Archie? Well, I was listening and I think it really breaks my heart to hear how government after government, person after person, they turn around and say, we don't know. I'm a war veteran. I got 80% war pension. I've been using cannabis for years. I know thousands of veterans that use it daily. And all we feel is we've been criminalised. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what what does it do for you, Archie? It gets me through my day. From day to day. I go cycle, I can cycle 200 miles a week. Without it, I can't do nothing. I'm in constant pain. I was in the Gulf War. I was tested with 
jabs that were untested on humans before. It's left me in a condition where it's caused nerve problems. And the cannabis is the only thing that helps me. And I'm spending £10,000 a year on it. Wow. Off my work pension. I've been to doctors. There was a medicine called Sadivexar. It was out 15 years ago. Because of postcode lottery, couldn't get it. Because I suffer Gulf War illness, it doesn't exist. It's not a condition. It's in America. The American government are treating their veterans with it. The British government are doing nothing. They've sat in the fence for years. I'm losing friends every year. Mm. In the last 10 years, I must have lost 40 people. The Queen's own herders alone. Dying with cancers. Leukemia. Tumours. Unexplained deaths that they can't understand. Because these people, some people are just using prescription medication. The doctors are giving them and they're doing nothing. And they're drinking on top of it. Putting them in early graves. So what would you like to see being done then, Archie? I would like to see everybody is entitled to grow their own four or five plants in a house. You can make your own oil or you can smoke it. Then there's no control. There's no profit. It's a choice. There's a... The founder of medicine, uh, Apocrypt, I can't mind his name, let the food be the medicine, the medicine be the food. Mm-hmm. You can put cannabis in your food. You don't need to smoke it. Make it legal to grow it. But, I, I mean, I, I've known many people who've said to me, you know, that um, they've suffered from various pains in their bodies, their arthritis, their, their whatever, and, and cannabis has worked for them. Um, That's a choice, isn't it? It's a personal choice. Yep. I mean, you can grow, you can make a brew kit. You can see, uh, make your own gin. Make your own beer. Make your own wine. Mm-hmm. Like you know, make your own medicine. Then you don't hassle the doctor. You don't cost the NHS nothing. It costs them a penny. Not one pence. The only thing it will cost them is they'll lose money for the pharmaceutical companies. That's the only reason they don't do it. You can go to you can go to America. You can grow your own. Spain, Portugal, Holland. This place is an open prison. You can't do nothing. Paperwork after paperwork after paperwork, dividing conquer the people. The dividers were a stupid Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, religion. We're all one people. They send you to war to kill somebody. It's a good thing. No, but you can't even grow a plant. Archie, I'm going to stop you there because I, I am wary of the clock running out against us on time on this one. I've got uh, a switchboard load of people trying to get through. Um, thank you very much indeed for that. Let's go to uh, Keith. Hello, Keith. How are you? Good yeah, morning, Ali. Good morning to you. Well, thank you. Good, yeah. good. What's your topic then? Yeah, Ali, um, what part of the ambassador's memo should be in the public domain? You know, the, the media don't seem to be coming in for any criticism at all. And yet um, they've published what is possibly written under the Official Secrets Act. And... What part of that memo should be in the public as part of public interest? Mm, although the, the the Met Police seem to be throwing a, a warning over the the media's bows and saying, you know, we, we're looking at this very carefully. I agree with the Met. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I think that both um, Boris Johnson and um, Hunt should have said exactly the same thing. That, yeah, okay, the media have a right to publish what is in the public interest. But when it's not in the public interest and it's basically just creating problems for the country and for politicians, why are they able to publish it? 
Yeah. Why would why did it get there in the first place? Why was it yeah, open? Well, I know this is this is a problem, you know. I've just read a book about uh, Bletchley Park and at Bletchley Park at the at the pinnacle of the war, there was over three thousand people employed at Bletchley breaking the Enigma codes. And you know, nobody got to hear about it. Mm-hmm. No media. The Germans didn't know about it, obviously. Even the generals didn't know about it. They didn't know where the information was coming from. They thought it was down to spies. And they didn't know what was happening. Nobody knew what was happening in Bletchley Park. Even people within Bletchley Park didn't know what other people were doing. And, you know, if 3,000 people there who had signed the Official Secrets Act were able to keep their mouth shut over what was going on, why can't our politicians and civil servants today do it? Why do they have to pander to the media circus? Keith, thank you very much indeed. Your comments more than welcome. As I say, we are running out of time. Let's go to William, who's in Crosshouse. Hi, William. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Right, I just want to come in on seeing when you listen to Archie's story. Right. Right. Well done to him for everything he's doing in his life. That's a big plus. Now, I've got Parkinson's. I'm a, I'm a veteran as well. I, I've got Parkinson's, and I've recently started taking cannabis at night. You know, what's wonders for me? Knocks me out. I've got a great night's sleep. Right. And I fully intend to do it. I don't spend as much as Archie, obviously, with cannabis. Mm-hmm. That's just a bit much. But, uh, did, it I, ta- did it take a while for you, actually, to think to yourself, right, I'm definitely going ahead and I'm going to start doing this? It did. It took, it took quite a few years. Yeah. I was diagnosed in, in, in 2016, but I knew I had Parkinson's long before. I knew for about 2012. Right. And it's been all that time. I've thought about it and thought about it. I was very frightened to take it. Yeah. You know, because I've never taken drugs before, other than prescription. But the prescription drugs weren't the day for me. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm shaking with a leaf at the moment. Right. See when I took the cannabis. I, oh, I didn't take much of it. Just a few draws of a, a, a cigarette. Uh, the shaking stopped. And it calmed me right away, way, way down. Best thing I've ever done. Definitely best thing I've ever done. I agree with Archie. It should be legalised. Thank you very much indeed, William. There's another one in here that uh, says, uh, "Re the cannabis issue, well done, Archie. Are you listening, Miss Freeman? Are you hearing this, Miss Calderwood? Let the scales fall from your eyes. Thank you for that. Uh, truth, honesty and decency go out the window where we're led by those who hold markets as opposed to moral values as their guide. People become viewed as commodities or customers existing simply to line the pockets of the rich and the powerful. Cass says the role of government and health secretary comes with great responsibility. The health secretary and others should relook at their position on cannabis and other treatments that can help people extend and improve their quality of life. They should not be denying access to effective treatment. Their current decision to refuse supervised access to treatment with full medical support and backup could result in fatalities. We urgently need them to reconsider. Heather, thank you very much indeed. Good to hear from you. She says, thinking about the use of cannabis for children that badly need it, surely it can be used and dispensed the same way as morphine is. Before my knee replacements, I was in so much pain I was finally uh, needed to give to be given morphine. This was kept locked at the chemist and only certain named people such as myself or my husband could collect it and even then we had to sign for it. I would therefore say that there are already procedures in place for dispensing medications that need strong protective guidelines. So why is it not available? I don't know. That is the question. That's almost it. My apologies. I was going to talk to uh, you about and bring you some thoughts on recycling. I'm going to hold that back to next week because uh, I wasn't going to be able to do it justice there. It was uh, quite obvious that uh, become very busy on the phone calls Thank you, and, and social media. Uh, loads of comments there. Uh, Karen Gray, thank you very much indeed for coming on. Also to Lisa and to Bernie as well uh, for giving the, your points of view. We will, of course, keep on top of this, I think, and um, see what can be done and try and get the, the Health Secretary to give us an answer. This has been Scotland's Talking. Thank you very much indeed for your company.